and she's a nurse so my blood pressure was through the roof and uh, next thing I'm in the ambulance and it all kicks off from there I had an argument with one doctor who was trying to tell me to calm down and I kind of felt well dude I'm having a stroke of any time to be anxious now is the time I'm back at work now I'm working full time I got the clearance from my doctors Hi there I'm Jerry Stevens. In 2017, I suffered a bleed on my brain, causing a stroke and has changed my life ever since. I thought it would be a good idea to speak to some stroke survivors and share their journey. Even if you haven't been affected by stroke, these are compelling, positive life stories from stroke survivors. They're doctors, physiotherapists and cognitive experts that I've met as part of my ongoing recovery. They have some amazing stories to share and advice to give. And over the next 10 weeks on RT Radio 1 Extra, we'll explore them with you. Welcome to today's Strokecast. Joining me today, stroke survivor, is Shane Kelly. Hello, Shane, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jerry. Pleasure to be here. It's obvious why you're here. You're a stroke survivor. Take me back to, uh, we'll say, the week before your stroke. Who was Shane Kelly? Yes. Uh, and what did you do before a living, before uh, your stroke? Right. Um, well, I'm married to uh, a wonderful lady called Susanne, um, who is Swedish, and we have three amazing children, Maisie, Tig, and Axel. And their ages are 12, 7 and 9. And uh, so we have a very busy household, uh, family life, really, really hectic. You know, the kids involved with GEA, football, school, obviously. So um, really, really full on. Uh, my wife is a, a, work, a nurse. She works in the community working with um, home care. And so she's quite uh, busy as well. Um, and... I work for a, um, a national organisation in Dublin. I live in Drogheda, so I'm the quintessential commuter. One of my passions is music, and I've been I've been singing in bands since I was, I don't know, 15. Prior to the stroke, I was um, working very hard with a new band that I have, um, and we were working, um, getting an, a new album ready. I was working with uh, an American producer called Brian Sperber. Um, Brian has worked with people like Madonna and Feeder and... Um, uh, lots of huge uh, acts. I had the idea for the for the new project for the new band. Um, the Pale Blue Moon is the name of the band. Um, Brian very generously said he would get involved and help me. So we were working on that, you know, really full time. I mean, as full time as you can be when you've got a full time job and three young kids. So I was doing all of that in addition to everything else. So it was it was pretty hectic. So you were juggling a lot, wearing many hats. Yes. Tell me about the day of your stroke. What happened? Yeah, um, it was a Sunday morning, um, like most Sunday mornings in our house. It was a, a, a hectic morning. And I was looking forward to the day because I was off work and um, my my daughter Maisie um, was going to come shopping with me. So I was getting ready for that and my, da- my daughter was upstairs in the shower and uh, I was running up to kind of uh, hurry her up a little bit and I was knocking on the door saying, Maisie, Maisie, come on, we we got to go, you know. You're, you can't get any cleaner, you know. After, you know, 20 minutes in the shower. So um, next thing I realised, I was lying on my bed, which happened to be just outside the, the shower. We've been on suite. And, and it was very peculiar because I, I woke up realising I was lying on my bed. And uh, I, I was really confused because I was like, I didn't, I didn't lie down. I, I'm, I was trying to think, why am I in the bed? I was already up. Um, and I noticed I was looking at my, my hand lying on my leg. And I thought it was somebody else's hand. I couldn't understand whose hand was on my leg. I couldn't feel the hand that was on my leg. Uh, and I realised I couldn't move it. Um, it was like, it was the strangest experience I've ever had. I, I had no 
connection to this hand, this part of my body. And I felt extremely tired and sleepy. And there was a moment where I actually thought this tiredness is really nice. I just want to go to sleep. And I, I considered for, I must have been seconds, that I just, you know, I'm just going to go to sleep. And then I something kicked in. I thought, this is really not right. This is not wrong. You've got to fight this. And uh, so I, I got up. And when I stood up, I was wobbly. I realized my, my left arm was kind of just hanging there. And I don't know why, but I instinctively knew I was having a stroke. I thought, this is what's happening to me. So I ran well, I ran, I walked slowly. Uh, in my head, I was running uh, downstairs, calling my wife, Susanne. Um, and I realized as I was calling her, I couldn't speak properly, which was confirming in my head, I'm having a stroke. Um, I mean, I'm no stroke expert. Well, I should say I was no stroke expert then. Um, I'm definitely one now. But uh, she came running and, and she's a nurse. So, you know, she immediately put me on the floor and started doing my blood pressure. My blood pressure was through the roof and... Uh, um, you know, we called an ambulance and the ambulance arrived and they were extremely good. So next thing I'm in the ambulance and it all kicks off from there. And then you head into hospital and that's where it all kind of kicks off and it gets really, really serious. And you realise the gravity of what's happening. Hospital Registrar Dr. Zul Khalil. Shane had what we call a carotid artery dissection. And dissections are in general, they're small little tears in the artery. So your artery has three, a few layers um, internally that, co- that, that comprises the artery. So if you have a little tear in the inner lining of the artery, so not a full tear. So if you have a full tear of the artery, obviously you're going to bleed. But let's say you have a little tear of the inner lining of the artery. Um, and that little tear then opens up a little hole then blood can go into that hole and then basically that blood is then in between let's say two of the inner linings of the artery that blood then clots because it's stagnant and therefore that clot then can travel up and cause a stroke why somebody would have a dissection and sometimes it's spontaneous a lot of the times people associate it with trauma now it can be anything it can be mild trauma it can be major trauma, um, but that is the association with dissections. We don't necessarily understand it very well, why certain people have it and some people don't, um, but that is the association. And the, in the context of Shane, I think in the preceding weeks, he had gone back to the gym, and that may have been the precipitant in terms of his dissection. Can you remember your first night in hospital? Um not really, to be honest. Um, vaguely, uh, I think I slept a lot, to be honest. Um, I remember the first few hours in hospital um, because I was, I don't know what the correct terminology is, I was stroking, I was having a stroke and it was coming and going. And I just remember being, I've never felt such an intense fear as I felt that day. Um, it was overwhelming fear. Did you realise how ill you were? You, you, you could fathom what had happened to you and you, you understood what was going on or, or was it a, an out-of-body experience? Um, that's a really interesting um, point it, because it was both. Um, I was definitely 
leaving my body um, as the stroke was happening. I was disconnecting. Um, it's a very peculiar feeling to become disassociated with your body, but that was definitely happening to me. However, I knew it was coming. It was happening to me in waves that these um, feelings would happen. And every time it happened, I thought, I'm going to die. And of course, Suzanne is a nurse. She obviously understood what was going on. Mm. How did she react? I mean, she was terrified, um, I suppose. She has the, the education and the knowledge to know the implication of what's happening and what could happen. And, um, you know, as the doctors started to, to realise themselves, uh, I mean, I had an argument with one doctor who was trying to tell me to calm down. And I kind of felt, well, dude, I'm having a stroke, you know. I mean, of any time to be anxious now is the time. Um, so, but I, I understood what he meant. But I was, you know, absolutely panicking. Um, I felt incredibly uh, scared. But it's it's a fear that it's hard to explain. I've I've never felt it before or since. Um, it was really I really thought that you know I was experiencing the last moments of my life. So you get over your first night. It begins to sink in what the gravity of what mm-hmm. has happened. What was your biggest worry? Um, to be honest, I was terrified of surviving, but being completely paralysed. And I actually said to Suzanne at the time, they were rushing me off for a CT scan or something. And, you know, when, when you see everybody panicking around you, you know you're, you're in trouble. Because um, everybody was, like, rushing. And, um, and I realised, you know, this is really serious. And they were wheeling me off at one point. And Sam was kind of holding on to the bed as they were wheeling me off and kind of came down to my ear to talk to me. And I just said to her, um, if if I don't come out of this properly, if, if I'm on a machine, please don't leave me on a machine. Um, don't resuscitate me. Uh, just, you know, switch it off. And, you know, that was devastating to her. It was devastating to me. But I, I was terrified that that might be the last opportunity that I'd be able to tell her that. So... I thought, I have to say it. Um, you know, and of course she was really upset and she said, don't worry, I'll, I'll never let anything like that happen to you. I wouldn't do that to you. I was afraid that each time I was having the episode, as they called it, that I was, I didn't know what way I was going to end up after it. You know, was I going to end up paralysed, completely locked in into my body? And that really terrified me. It terrified me more than anything. And um, my biggest regret that kept coming up was my three kids. I was like, oh my God. I, mean, I, I got really emotional thinking the three beautiful kids, they're, they're so young not to have a parent. And I kept thinking how this is going to impact the rest of their lives and, and change who they are. You know, the death of their father, you know, or, you know, from my perspective, there's worse things than de- death. Yeah, they're surviving this. And it's funny because everybody I asked this question to, not one person has ever said to me, something about themselves they never ever consider themselves it's always who you've left behind mm. but thankfully Shane you're still here you get over your first week in hospital and you've seen the physio team uh, the occupational therapist would have been to see you and had a chance to assess your ability and of course the consultant well they normally in the first week or so are trying to figure out the medication what's mm-hmm. working what isn't working what do we need to keep an eye on what do we need to concentrate on uh, how did you feel after the first week my initial reaction as I I suppose started to come come around to what had happened and I realised you know and I'm sitting in the hospital was um it's, I suppose I felt this must be what it's like to be hit by a bus and survive. You know, you know um, um, I was 
definitely of the attitude, my God, this could have been a lot worse. Um, the enormity of what could have gone wrong was really starting to hit me um, because I was thinking, you know, I'm 42. I'm, uh, my wife might laugh when I say this, but I consider myself reasonably healthy. You know, um, you know, I'm not particularly overweight or anything. You know, I'm not, I'm not what I would have considered the um, the profile of somebody who should have a stroke. And I remember being kind of quite upset, saying, "You know, why why is this happening to me? How is this happening to me? Um, I don't understand." And and I did wonder, what have I done to cause to this? this. <laughs> well, even to cause it, I was like. Because I was, I was angry at myself. I was like, you know, this is so stupid and unnecessary. How did I end up here? Um, but yeah, I, I suppose I came out the other side of it. And from that moment, I kind of felt this is all about attitude now, Shane. You know, it's you know you're you're in this on your own, and it's I I I, I really had the the sense I wanted to beat it. Now that might be naivety. I don't know, um, but it was an element of uh, denial as well, not being able to, to cope with the gravity and the enormity of, of what had happened and particularly what could have happened. Um, so I, at first I, I think I was happy to be alive, I was happy to be able to speak, I was happy, you know, to eat, you know, simple things which I knew could have been taken away from me. Clinical nurse, specialist in stroke, Fiona Connachton. Shane, a young gentleman, after having his stroke, Shane didn't quite say a lot. And I think, again, when it came to talking to Shane about, say, the psychological effects of counselling, even with around cognitive rehab, Shane and his own profession, he was the expert in it. So I think for Shane, it was a lot further down the line that he actually got. I suppose if you say help or assistance for me, that's when it was. It wasn't there and then in the hospital because it took him time. It took him time to take that help and when the time was right for him, he got it. I realised I had deficits. I mean, the part of my brain that was affected was um, executive functioning, so kind of higher level cognitive thinking and planning this kind of thing you do begin to show signs which you obviously did and you know which is all in the right direction you're definitely without doubt in the right place you're receiving the right care and you begin to show signs of progress and good recovery now is possible you, you can see a little bit of light mm. at the end of the tunnel but uh, you get transferred to the county hospital in Dundalk uh, to help you concentrate on your walking again now you meet the very gifted and um, senior physio Sunkar. In fact, I'm walking today because of his dedication uh, to his job. How did you get on with him? Sunkar was amazing. Um, he's not only a very gifted and talented and professional uh, therapist, but he's also um, an absolute gentleman and a pleasure to be around. And I, I really looked forward to spending time with him. Um, he was great. He was so encouraging. And he has a, a deep inner calmness about him that he just radiates, which was really helpful because my anxiety levels were kind of through the roof at that stage um, because I'm in a strange environment, you know, I'm dealing with something that's happened to me, um, which was very hard for me to 
the process, I think. Um, and to a certain extent, even today, I don't think I processed it because I think from the outside, when people see me or look at me and those close around me, you know, there was pre before the stroke then the stroke happened and everything that went on there. But, you know, for me on the inside, I, um, you know, one day on a Saturday, I was totally fine. On a Sunday, uh, a lot of ability and health was just taken away from me in an instant. It's gone. And and you wake up trying to deal with that difference. Uh, you've had, it's not like you've been sick for six months and slowly deteriorated. You've just been good, 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 bang, you're not good. So it's just, that's just been ripped away. Um, your, your health has just been and something I wasn't expecting. So trying to figure out how to process that and deal with it um, was difficult. You spent four weeks in Dundalk. You made great progress with your speech. You were walking. Mm -hmm. And uh, a home date is set, but uh, things didn't really go according to plan, did they? No, they didn't. Um, So I, it was a a Sunday and um, I was being allowed out to go home. Uh, It was my son's first communion and I was so happy and determined to go home, to spend time because we were having a family party for his first communion. And, you know, it had been really difficult on the kids. You know, they were very worried about me and what was going to happen. So they were really looking forward to being at home and I was really looking forward to going home. Um, so that morning I was getting ready and my my mother and father, Joe and Jer, were coming to collect me who have, you know, been an amazing support to me. I couldn't have done this without them or my wife, Susanna, or the kids. Um, so they're coming to collect me and I'm having a shower, you know, getting ready. And I bend over to pick up a towel in the shower to... You know, to, to dry myself and all of a sudden everything goes black and I get dizzy so I sat down to steady myself I kind of thought I just bent over too quick or something like that um, and I sat down and everything was black I couldn't see anything and I was kind of just giving myself a moment to catch my breath and uh, maybe everything would come back and all of a sudden you know I could start to see again you know, that, that blackness disappeared I could see but then I noticed um, I could see with my left eye uh, I couldn't see out of my right eye um I could see a little bit of light, but not much. And I kind of thought, what the hell is wrong here? And I have to say, stupidly, I told nobody. I was so determined, I'm going home. What did your gut say to you had happened? I genuinely didn't know what had happened. Or you didn't want to I didn't (laughs) want to know. I mean, at that stage, I had enough bad news and things going on. But I I didn't know what it might be I genuinely didn't I was so naive that I kind of I'd never heard of what had happened to me um, so anyway, I get home and I kind of thought by the time I get home this darkness in my right I would have cleared up you know and whatever's happened I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get over it so I get home and it hadn't and I thought I have to I have to say something so my wife being a nurse of course I said you know and I feel so stupid now when I think about it. I said, son, I, I can't see at my right eye. I'm blind in my right eye. And she's like, oh, my God, you know, we have to we have to call the doctor. And I was like, oh, no, you know. So she called Dundalk and, and explained to them what happened. They said, oh, no, hang on. There's something not right here. Um, you know, call an ambulance. Um, and I was like, and I even requested the ambulance not to come to my house because the kids were there and they're outside playing, you know, bouncy castle, the whole thing. So I walked up the top of my lane where I live. I live down a lane 
to meet the ambulance, um, uh, my dad put me in the back of his car and he said, you're not walking, it'll be silly. And we went up. So anyway, long story short, what had transpired is I had had another stroke, um, which is, I've learned now, is called an eye stroke, which is the clot went into my eye, into my optic nerve, instead of into my brain. So the clot stayed in your body or this is another clot? What they believe happened is probably it's a fragment that broke off the clot and that there was little bits of fragments going around. And so this fragment went into my optic nerve, went into my eye. So it's called an eye stroke. So it's, it's literally a stroke. It blocks the blood going to your eye. Uh, and that's what causes the blindness because it kills the, the optic nerve. And, you know, that's not going to get better. It's just, you know, and I was uh, back in the hospital, back in the A&E, get, getting more drugs and... Um, going through this um, experience of what I call stroking, you know, having the episodes over and they're coming again wave by wave and I was getting really sick and uh, dizzy. Uh, it was like being on a roller coaster. The, 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 the ground would take off and I would think I'm flying and um, it was back to being terrified. I, back to that petrified feeling and I was again saying to Suzanne, this is this is happening again. I don't know how it's happening again, but it's happening again. You know, I, I, I recognize the the symptoms. I recognize the, what's happening here. And uh, so um, I was like, you know, I was exhausted from it because it's a very physical thing, uh, experience, because your body is just, it's like somebody drops you off a high building and you're falling. It's that sensation of falling and falling and falling. And uh, so um, eventually the doctors get it under control and... Um, they confirm, yeah, you've, you've had another stroke. It's an eye stroke. Um, so those little bits of fragments of clot had probably broken off, they believe, and were kind of going around my body and one got into my eye. So um, you're out of hospital now over 16 months. You're, you're mm-hmm. getting back on track now. And thankfully, you're able to play with the kids and tell them to get out of the shower and all that kind of stuff. Uh, then, just like me, you got a chance to attend a cognitive rehabilitation course in RD with uh, Dr. Neve Rowe. Now, the great thing is it's a chance to do this cognitive course. Mm-hmm. Possibly the other thing you need to consider is it's a 16-week course. It's four months of your life, which is quite a big commitment too. Mm-hmm. Was it a big decision for you to make? Yes, it was. Um, I still, at that stage, I, I, the thoughts of making a commitment like that were quite big to me. Um, I had only recently started driving again. That was the other thing I, you know, um, that terrified me after the stroke, and and also going blind in one eye. That I realised, you know, I might not be able to drive, and that, and the enormity of that was was huge because that would that would change my life in so many ways. I can't live without a car. Most people can't. You know, I have three young kids. I have a job. My job is in Dublin. I live in Drogheda. Um, you know. I was an, an apprentice rock star. So I was saying, how am I going to get around the country? You know, this, I was so bloody angry about the stroke happening that I felt this is so inconvenient. You know, and it's not, this is not my, this is not part of my plan. You know, I need this plan to, I, I need this situation to go away. So I thought about, thought about it and I thought, you know, you know, you have to fight this. And I, 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 just decided I was going to fight my situation and I needed to give myself every possible tool to do that. So I suppose that that is part of my personality to kind of not be put off by the impossible. You know, uh, part of that comes from being in a, in, a, in a rock band, you know, you know, you have to believe 
the that you can do the impossible or else you wouldn't try at all. So I kind of felt I'll do it and it was extremely good. I'm extremely happy that I did it. Cognitive rehabilitation doctor Neve Rowe. Shane has been an invaluable member of, of the group. Um, initially, I think Shane is a listener. Um, he's one of these who's quiet and he sort of observes and he listens. Um, but he's also one of these that, and what I found over the weeks is is that his confidence grew. He was becoming more outspoken. Uh, and when Shane says something, it's really valuable. So I think his confidence grew, his insight into his injury and his understanding of why he may be experiencing some difficulties has improved as well. Um, his On the, the cognitive level, he improved in his attention and his in memory. And with regard to his vocational goals, so his returning to work, um, we spoke about different techniques to help with his activities, some of the activities that he needs to perform in work. So there was some guidance given around what to do and how to manage it. And then his fatigue side of things. And now Shane is back in work on a gradual basis. Basis, easing into it um, and still monitoring certain things so great improvement um, I think the biggest one is the smile Shane has a lovely smile um, and I think it's his belief in himself um, that he knows he has a lot to give and he's on that journey now with giving back I would encourage people to educate themselves about their condition while on one hand it's a bit scary when you start getting into the nuts and bolts of you know, what's gone wrong and you feel you feel very vulnerable. I felt very vulnerable. I felt very mortal. You know, I felt very unsafe. I kind of felt, you know, I'm I'm the custodian of this body that's, you know, <laughs> quite vulnerable. And even though in my head I'm I'm all these things, the body is uh, you know, weak and vulnerable and can be uh can be attacked in certain ways, I suppose, I thought. Um, have you returned to work? Uh, is that is yes. that on the horizon? No, I am. I'm back at work now. I'm working full time. Um, uh, I got the clearance from my, my, my doctors, you know. Um, so I was basically out of work for a year. Um, and I remember when I was out for six months thinking, wow. That's a long time. That's a long yes, time. Yeah. Um, and and some of the therapists saying to me, would you not be better staying out for the year? When did you see the signs that this was actually possible? That you could, yeah, you know something? I might last two days a week, mm. maybe maybe mm. dip my toe in the water. When I noticed that the fatigue, and that at that point that's really what I was um, concerned about. When I noticed that the fatigue could be managed and that when I rested, I did feel better. That gave me great hope and great inspiration because, you know, my fear was, OK, rest, but not feeling better because there were times where I would I would go to bed, I would sleep and I'd wake up and I would feel just as bad and just as tired as I did when I went to sleep. And I'd feel so ripped off. I would I'd be so annoyed. I was like, oh, that's not fair. Like, I've, I've had rest. Why am I not feeling good? You know, and as my wife would say to me, because you've had a stroke. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why, you know, you know, be realistic. And, and I did have to be reminded of that constantly because I would forget because in my head, I'm the same person. And has your wife settled into the fact that you are re- to a reasonable degree of recovery? Mm. Or does she still look over your shoulder or, or sleep at one eye open now? You know? No, no, she, she, no, she doesn't. She, you know, she's a very, you know, she's Swedish, so she's very practical and pragmatic. And, you know, that might be a, a cultural stereotype, but 
Um, I'm only saying from my experience of living with someone who's Swedish, that's that's exactly my experience. And and she's been an absolute rock. And I know that sounds like a, a cliche, but I mean, I couldn't have done it without her. And uh, she's an amazing strength to me and reminds me, you know, that, you know, not to be expecting too much of myself, which is something that I do. Uh, realistic goals. Mm. Again, we're, we're back to realistic targets, realistic goals. Yeah, but who wants to be realistic, Jerry? I don't yeah, see, I don't, yeah. I, part of me doesn't want to have to deal with this. Well, that was pre-stroke, you see. Mm. And, and I'm and still And I there. was very much that dude too, you know, I very I, much. I'm annoyed that I have to have realistic goals. I, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I could have worked 24 hours and not get any sleep. He says, Try no. doing it now. <laughs> you know, no, exactly. So, I mean, uh, now I, I love my bed. Uh, I look forward to sleep. Um, but, um, you know, it's all going the right way. You know, being busy, it's it's tough. It's demanding. Um, but, you know, why shouldn't it be? Uh, that's fine. Uh, I'll do that. And um, it keeps my keeps me busy. keeps my mind busy. Shane Kelly, fellow stroke survivor, I want to wish you the best of luck with your ongoing recovery. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jerry. Next week on The Strokecast, Grania's story. I realised I couldn't actually walk, arm not working, leg not working. I was 32 years of age, I had a headache. Stroke didn't even cross my mind. The doctors came in and I thought, oh, they're going to tell me there's nothing wrong with you, it's a headache. I remember him just saying the words, we think you've had a stroke. I've no more checkups. I've finished with Dr Lynch from the stroke perspective and I want to get back to work. Get in touch on Twitter at Strokecast IRL or on Facebook. The Strokecast is produced and presented by Jerry Stevens. The executive producer is Al Dunn. It's created by Unique Media.